The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to the Sleep Plus TV Club for Downton Abbey Season 6. I'm June Thomas and I'm here with Seth Stevenson for the final countdown. Seth, are you ready to say goodbye? Shrimpy, I will never be ready to say goodbye to Downton. We'll break out the Verve Clicquot. It's been a long road. Mm-hmm. Can we really mark the end? As Lady Mary said of Bates and Anna's subplot, can we really mark the end? But we must break out the Verve Clicquot and, and, and celebrate the end of something that's brought us all so much joy. Well, Balmy, I just have to say one thing. To you, it's Lady Shrimpy, okay? I apologize, Lady Shrimpy. Okay. <laughs> I didn't mean to demote you. But t- this is 1925, June. Times are you going to tell changing. me times are changing? Times are changing. <laughs> Whoa, that's new on Downton Abbey. So which, how, where shall we begin this week? This week's, we're, we're back, and so we had a supersized episode. What was the outstanding theme for you this week? Well, I, I think times are changing, as always, <laughs> as always was the theme. The people living in the Downton Abbey lifestyle are like the dot-comers of 1999, and now it's 2001. Oh, and I remember those days well. The sword of Damocles is falling, and everyone realizes the gig is up, the, the, the good times are going to stop rolling, and the, 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 everything has crashed in this sector, that being the obnoxious lords and ladies sector, mm-hmm. and everyone needs to get out, and everyone's looking for a safe landing. Uh-huh. Uh, and so we have the, the staff, the downstairs staff, all kibitzing with one another, much like the employees in the break room of Pets.com might have <laughs> in, you know, August of 2000, uh, wondering what's going to become, what's our escape pod, where are we going to go to, what's going to happen? And then, you know, we have upstairs Lord Grantham and Lady Mary talking about how they're going to manage this estate mm-hmm. in the future mm-hmm. and, and whether they need to downsize. And we have the estate next door greatly affecting Daisy's father-in-law, the farmer. I've forgotten his name. Mr. Mason. Mr. Mason. Uh, and once again there we have the estate being bought and the former owners downsizing and auctioning off these uh, noble relics of their past. Right. The, the portraits of their grandfathers. So I'd say that. And then, you know, again, times are also changing for, for Lady Edith. What, what will become of her? She has no place uh, in this present moment. Will she, just, will she just travel? Will she do charity work? Will she sit about Downton Abbey and absorb the snipes of Lady Mary? Or will she go to London and be in a nice pied-à-terre and uh, boss around people, journalists, and tell them to meet their deadlines? I know what I do. I want to be in a room where I meet Virginia Woolf. I'm a little stretchy. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> Lady Edith should stop complaining. She's she really out. should. Well, I would say let's let's start off June. Mm-hmm. I, I guess uh, beyond the, the, those those broader themes, uh, uh, those tiny. Ch- I guess the the specific story point that that was sort of the uh, the procedural element of this episode, which was all wrapped up by the end of it, was the blackmail plotline yes. where we had this evil northern lady. Aren't they all like that? June? Oh Aren't my all god! Northerners like this that? is the thing that drives me crazy about one of the many things. So the evil, evil, I mean, that woman just had horns and a tail and there was sulfur around her. I mean, God, could there have been any more vile? And of course, she had a nice good Scouse accent, you know what I mean? Yes, yes, Lady Mary, I know what you were doing in that bedroom. I know. Oh, it was so offensive. And even worse than that, Cora, I'm sure they'd been saving it for the entire run of the show and finally they were like, ah, it's almost over, get it done. She said to, well, someone as they were wandering around the grounds, 
trouble at mill. And I thought, shut up, bitch. Yes, there's trouble at mill. And you'll, your head will be on the tumbrel by the end of this season, matey. So just whatevs. Well, that, that sounded like a gendered insult to me, first of all. <laughs> So I hope our listeners won't be offended by that. Uh, second of all, I will say I felt that that evil uh, black maelstress that we met, yeah. I mean, I, I thought it just that accent just seemed to suit her. It just, uh, to me, it gave me chills. I felt <laughs> like I needed to run screaming from that accent. <laughs> Quite right. <laughs> just, uh, just in case anyone thought I really had seen uh, Cora's head uh, in a bucket or in a basket by the end. We haven't watched ahead. When Downton isn't on, Seth and I never leave our homes. We're sequestered. We're sequestered. Julian Fellows issues a, se- a sequestration mm-hmm. order to us, mm-hmm. and we go to hotel rooms for the entire uh, off-season. The Grand Hotel in Liverpool, as it happens. <laughs> yes, and then later we get blackmailed because <laughs> June and I share a room. You know. and, uh, but, well, yeah, so we, we've not watched ahead. Frankly, I couldn't hold that much information in my mind <laughs> anyway. I wouldn't be capable of, of going back and remembering what happened when. Um, so it's all a surprise to us but yes the blackmail who are you Lisa Bevan don't you know me Lady Mary because I know you no I do not know you and I suppose you've forgotten the Grand Hotel in Liverpool too my lady and the night you spent there with Viscount Gillingham I was a chambermaid but I suppose we're invisible to people like you this is all nonsense you've no proof don't be silly you don't know what I've got to start with, I've got a page from the register. Then you are a thief. Yes, I am a thief. And I want a thousand pounds to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> That's ridiculous. We'll see how ridiculous it is. I'm going now, but I'll be back. Don't bother. You're not the first person who's tried to blackmail me. Well, I'm glad you know how it works. And as I say, I will be back. The stakes for I know, me. The problem with Downton Abbey, the perpetual problem stakes. Well, once a, first of all, we know the perpetual problem with Downton Abbey is that the stage storylines happen again and again <laughs> in just like very slightly altered slightly forms. Altered. I guess this proving, time with a Scouse accent. Yeah, proving the maxim that history may not repeat, but it does rhyme. But again, once again, Lady Mary, she might bring scandal upon the entire family, and someone is threatening to reveal uh, Lady Mary's scandalous doings, and Lady Mary needs to keep it from her father because. What will he think of her, and will this bring the family down? And then it's resolved at the end, and it turns out Lord Grantham doesn't think any less of Lady Mary, or he can somehow fit into his worldview of Lady Mary that this fact that she also maybe kind of sluts it up sometimes. That was also a gendered, and I'm gonna I'd like to retract that one. <laughs> Here's the thing: not only did he not think worse of her, he actually thought better of her, and he decided based on her behavior with the would-be blackmailer, that she should be the agent of Downton. I mean, it was ridiculous. However, clearly the main problem here was that our scouse bint should have been blackmailing Tony Gillingham, not yeah. Lady Mary. I mean, that was just moronic, prima facie. Fair point, June. I do, it's true that Lord, Lord Grantham essentially said... Well, Mary, given that you strung along poor Lord Gillingham by, by sleeping with him, having no intention of bringing the relationship any further along, and given that you nearly brought ruin upon this family, <laughs> I feel that you deserve a promotion. Exactly. If only it worked that way in life, Seth, we could be really successful. Poor bloody Anna, the martyr of our parish, was forced to listen to Lady Mary's brought upon herself sort of. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having sex with Tony Gillingham in Liverpool. What else are you going to do in Liverpool? Who hasn't? Right. But Lady Mary has 
Anna doing her bidding. Uh, it's her job, I know, but oh God, it just, on top of everything else that she has to deal with all Lady Mary's problems, it's, it's, it's an agitation to me. She was looking awfully drawn, was dear Anna. I mean, Anna, what a thankless, oh, what, a, God. What, a, what a thankless just entire being. Exactly. She gets Anna to do Lady, Lady Mary's bidding, then she has to go home with Bates. And it, it's just pure misery. Just every time they're together, it's like, oh, no, we're, on, we're under it again. Mm. Oh, but we're going to fight through it. Uh, you know, we're just, no couple has seen worse than us. And, June, you and I have been on record for, for at least a couple of seasons now that at we are sick, sick of the Bates and Anna storyline. We would, we would not be unhappy if some sort of 1920s alien presence came down and abducted Bates and Anna. They were never heard from again. Never. In fact, we, we were rooting for Bates to be hung, I believe. Yeah. We, we wanted oh, hanged. Hanged. So yes. you're the former copy editor. That's you, right. Thank you for stepping in there. Uh-huh. We were rooting for Bates to be hanged because we hated that storyline. So he's, I'm sure he's a good man. He's fine. No one deserves to be hanged if he's if he's innocent. Right. And yet, yeah. we wanted him to swing from the gallows just to get that storyline mm-hmm. off our television we sets. Cried, we almost crowdfunded it. We almost crowdfunded, like, build a time machine so that we could go back in time and make the evidence more obvious for Bates to be hanged. <laughs> if we, we would like to frame Bates. Yeah, we would, we would have framed Bates to get rid of him. And now the sword of Damocles is over Downton. The shadow of the noose is no longer over the Bateses. And thank goodness for that. Yeah, I think I'm I, sick of that. I personally popped a bottle of, of Clicquot, <laughs> right. uh, you know, of my own, to drink along with the, with, with the Downtoners um, mm-hmm. to celebrate the end of that storyline. I can't, I don't quite believe that it's over. Something tells me that there will be more woe in store for Bates and Anna uh, as the season goes on. But I was so thrilled. I turned on my gramophone. <laughs> I, I popped a bottle of Veuve. Yeah. I dropped the needle on... Uh, what, what, what thanks a million? What's the what was the song <laughs> yeah, you used right. to love? Thanks a million. Boops a million. Boops a million. Yeah. <laughs> uh, whatever it was. Yeah. Shrimpy's a million, and uh, uh, and I partied along with them because yeah. uh, thank goodness that that storyline is is done with, and I hope that they'll have some sort of like fun, sprightly, romantic adventures together now, more in the mold of of, of Hughes and Carson, which is a delightful storyline. Shall we go there? Shall we go? Th- yes. Let's put in our rearview mirror the, the Bates and Anna marriage, and let us talk about this nation marriage, this this burgeoning love. Oh, my goodness. That's so beautiful to behold. Indeed. And, and Carson's so proud of his love, so proud of his wife. That man has such dignity, be, Oh, my goodness. Such dignity. Just uh, implacable in his, in his quest for dignity. And uh, I love him for it. And, you know, we saw, June and I can reveal that we, we went to a Downton event, mm-hmm. a PBS Downton event. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we took pictures with cardboard cutouts of the Dowager <laughs> Countess and, oh and Thomas. I thought they were a little two-dimensional, but the characters always have been. <laughs> Those who are no tune, these were in fact cardboard oh. cutouts. That was oh. not Thomas. Oh, wow. <laughs> to see dimensional Thomas characters. Um. That, was, that was. And, and uh, we saw Carson and Hughes. I'm forgetting the actors' names. Jim Carter and Phyllis Logan. Thank you. Sitting together uh-huh. on stage. Uh-huh. Um, and, the, and and I have to say that the, the fellow who plays Carson, he was every bit as delightful he was. in real life as he is on screen. Yeah. He's got a true charm about him. You just want to you just want to be around that man. You, I wanted I just wanted like a teddy bear hug from him. Yeah, and you could see that just as he did a little bit, he he went and got some wine and poured it for the toffs. <laughs> he had the the foresight and the and the speed of mind to to go and do that. Similarly, he, he will always take the step to save Downton. He can't stop Lady Mary from riding astride, but he can, he can save civilization from falling around them. And he can reveal to the go-between that 
Mrs. Hughes, but poor Mrs. Patmore, who Leslie Nichol, who plays Mrs. Patmore, was magnificent. Can we agree in that role? Oh, in those scenes, so great, so great, and her discomfort was oh. palpable. Her disquietude at, ha- at having to uh, at having to bring these matters up uh, with Carson, yeah. uh, so delightful, and and good good on Carson yeah. for for he wants. Every bit a marriage. He wants every bit of Mrs. Hughes. He does. Sure. He doesn't want a fake patter cake. Pa- I, yeah, I had. I was going to look that up. Patter, patter cake. Patter cake. I guess maybe like playing childhood games. You know, when you oh, do. I, I was going to say when you do hand jobs, but, but I mean, I think June. No, what's that? Like hand driving. I think whatever. <laughs> patty yeah. cake. Yeah, patty cake. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Children's That's, games. I guess it meant, it meant platonic, but he, yeah, he, he yeah. a brother sister type yeah. relationship. He didn't want that. He wanted to ravish <laughs> Mrs. Hughes. And I think Mrs. Hughes, I think her, I don't know, her concern, her nervousness, her wariness about ravishment was whether he would indeed find her attractive knowing that she's no longer in the, in the, you know, the bloom of youth. But he made it clear that he finds her beautiful. He wants to have at it. Yes, he does. And I'm sure she wants to be have, have had at yeah, and I bet he calls her Elsie in bed. I bet. Uh, you know, and as Ms. Mrs. Padmore pointed out uh, quite fairly to Mrs. Hughes, I mean, it, it's not like Mr. Carson has, has been uh, hitting the, the weight bench either, you know? <laughs> it's, it's not like he's been uh, self-tanning and, uh, right. and, and doing his elliptical training. So, right. uh, you know, I think they're going to be a well-matched pair and will find great passion uh, through their respect for each other. Right. And I, I, from evermore... Um, whenever I need to have a difficult conversation, perhaps with you, Seth, I'm going to just turn away ever so slightly. We can't do it here because we'll go off mic and that would be a disaster. Would you like a glass of port, June? I won't. Oh, well, perhaps I will. <laughs> you sound like a governess in fear of dismissal. <laughs> that was my favorite Dowager Countess insult of the oh, week. Oh, really? I, 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 was, I was more fond of um, does it ever get cold on the moral high ground, which I think came from Cousin Isabel, who I guess isn't yet married to Lord Merlin. But uh, they're they're already at the stage where they're making whispered asides to one another. They're like an old married couple. And she's, what does she say? Let, let's not make too much of it. <laughs> that was so good. I'm glad we agree on this. Don't let's make too much of it. For all of our cavils and carping about the show, there are some really magnificent actors in. Oh, the performances are incredible. I mean, I think that's why people keep coming back. Yeah. Just these people. I mean, the, the characters sometimes they can be a bit rote, and the storylines can be a bit predictable and, and repetitive. But yes, the performances within that world, the, the way mm-hmm. that people bring life to these characters is amazing. And all you know, across the board, all yeah. of them so yeah. well chosen. Yeah. So we saw cousin Isabel and Lord Merlin. At the big fight of the year, I, this is to me the low point in terms of like the creativity. The big York Hospital wants to take over the local Downton Hospital, and this has the Dowager Countess and Cousin Isabel at daggers drawn. And you think, uh, could could we could it have possibly been something we could care about? Wait, what do you mean, Jen? I'm really looking forward to learning the ins and outs, the bureaucracy, the administrative procedures of how many uh, beds of local versus regional hospital control in 1925 Britain. It's a fascinating area. Absolutely. I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to get a few books out of the library on the topic, <laughs> really bone up, so I can appreciate the nuances of the show. Uh, I, I completely disagree. Yeah, regional MacGuffin reorganization <laughs> was very, very big in 1925. Well, whatever, whatever gets the Dowager Countess and cousin Isabel in a room together, firing off sparks 
I am all for whatever form that takes. So it looks like Cora actually also is going to get in the middle of that. She might finally stand up to the Dowager Countess. She's no match for the Dowager Countess. Nah, true. She's no match. She will wilt under that under that pressure, as will Danker. Uh, and Spratt, which was our other sort of face-off in this episode. Danker and Spratt make a... I, I kind of like... I When I saw Danker, I, I guess I guess sort of misremembered what happened toward the end of the... But I was like, last we saw her, she was like getting drunk and leading young men into temptation and right. gambling houses. And right. how did she maintain her position after all that? But I guess she did. I guess I'm, I'm not quite remembering how that all went down. But there she is still. And she and she's learned nothing. nothing. She's learned nothing. She's still a horrid person. It's going to, to, to spread... Uh, anxiety throughout the bowels of Downton Abbey, making Spratt's life a yeah. nightmare, threatening him. If this was that dot-com uh, office in 2000, she would have been the person who accidentally on purpose left something on the photocopier about planned layoffs. I don't know. She gets excited. She thinks she knows something that other people don't know. And then she forgot what she was dealing with. And as soon as the Dowager C realized what she was doing, she was right back on her. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's, it's sort of like Danker. You know, Danker was saying, "Oh, well, well, ladies will always need people to dress them and undress them," which is a, which is another one of those 2015. Ha ha! Uh-huh. Don't we know better now that in fact ladies can dress and undress themselves? But it was yeah, it was sort of like you know a dot com or being like, "Well, uh, Silicon Valley will always require graphic designers. They won't need PR people, so you're doomed." And then right. it didn't matter. Everybody got laid off. But Spratz. The delightful Spratt. Spratt. You know, sort of uh, an, an echo of Carson in his in his demand to maintain dignity at all times and his resentment of anyone who would dare to undermine his dignity. Sort of like Carson, and yet he's, he's, he's a bizarro Carson and that he's much less likable. He's like Carson if with, with like one quarter Mosley. <laughs> just, a, just a sort of like he rubbed shoulders with Mosley once too often so that a little bit of the Mosley rubbed off on him and... If Carson and Mosley were to consummate their relationship in the way and could somehow impregnate one another, mm. uh, in the way that Carson and Hughes will be con- consummating their relationship. <laughs> They'll be impregnating one another. <laughs> uh, probably not also. Mm. So, yes. I, but that is – you, you make a fair point. He does have a little bit of Mosley in him, but none of the um, – I would say none of the good heart of Mosley. Like, Mosley has a good heart to redeem him, right? Mosley sort of, there's this nice idealism about Mosley. Mosley, like, wants to see the best in people, and he wants to be helpful. He wants a better world, and to be a part of that better world, there's something a little bit beautiful about exactly. and tragic there about is. Mosley. There Whereas Spratt, I think, just wants to go along and get along and right. curry favor from the Dowager Countess. Right. And at least Denka, by the end of the episode, is being a little bit, brought down. So that's that's all we can hope for. I'd like to see Danker put in her place. Exactly. So I guess the final big topic of this episode is the neighboring estate, it appears. Um, the owners have to sell up. They can't keep it going. And so the whole Downton family, the whole Crawley family, uh, goes over to the sale just to kind of, in part to be in solidarity, in part they want to Maybe just pick up a little souvenir because uh, Papa used to be uh, close with that family. And also Daisy goes because Mr. Mason has been given an order to quit because uh, the family needs vacant possession for the, for the new owners. And Daisy, uh, as is so often the case, since she's now had a bit of boot learning, she goes off a bit, doesn't she? She cracks out of turn. Yeah. Yes, it's not her place. And, and all of the, the Crawleys, the Crawley family is, is warning her 
yeah. not to do this. This is not her place to do this. But she says, no, Lord Grantham, I am going to, you know, she feels so strongly about it. And her principle is correct. Yeah. She is correct. And, and But the dynamics are such that she just simply cannot have the soliloquy without there being some sort of repercussion. And But the sad thing is... We know the, reper- the repercussion for her is like a minor punishment from Carson and Hughes. She will not lose her job. But the repercussion for Mr. Mason could be, you know, that, he, that, that even though they will keep on some tenants, that he will be singled out for having his lease terminated. Is that mm-hmm. – I don't know if that's – would say that. <laughs> he was going to be kicked off yeah. simply because Daisy has, has now um, brought him into disfavor yeah. with, the, with the new ownership. Yeah. And I have to say the Hendersons do seem – that Mr. Henderson seems a bit of a shit – I would say. I think that's the technical term for for the kind of man that he is. Foolish, probably also, to take on a big estate like that. I don't know, you know, if that old family couldn't make a go of it. I don't know why he thinks he could. Probably won't. But I guess we shouldn't look a gift horse in the mouth if you're that family. But yeah, Mr. Mason seems to be a little bit doomed. It's funny because we we heard in the show as as the, um, you know, the Downton... Uh, household is shrinking. The underfoot ladies or whatever they are are resigning. The housemaids are resigning. Um, one wants to work in a shop because her young man wants to see her in a way that isn't possible. You know, it's, it's like being in a nunnery when you work uh, in a big house like that. And so the staff, the servants could potentially get jobs. But Mr. Mason being a more senior gentleman... It's not so clear, like, what his path is. This is before the days of pensions and so on. All right. I was going to say he needs Social Security. Yeah, he really is going to be thrown on the, the ash heap. Well, something tells me mm-hmm. that the, the, the good people of Downton might swoop in and save the day at some point and that Lord Grantham might get yet another opportunity to seem lordly and gracious and, oh, what a fine man is he because he's going to provide some sort of tenant situation for Mr. Mason on the Downton grounds. Although in a sense, I know this is probably going too far, but the fact that Daisy really has lost her sense of her place. I mean, yes, it's the way of the world. It's the way that things are changing, but she was allowed to ride in the front seat. She was talking with the family with the the Viscount as if he was her buddy refusing his advice in a way you could say that the way that the Crawleys have treated their servants as friends is what caused the problem that Mr. Mason is now going to be the sufferer of possibly probably. That, oh I like that I like the way you brought anything that you comes back around on Lord Grantham <laughs> it's his fault. It is. <laughs> that scouse bit said that. <laughs> Well, June, I'm so excited to be back here discussing Downton with you. Ditto. Although every time I hear you speak, I think I'm about to be blackmailed. (laughs) Um, And I look forward to discussing each new episode with you. Together, we shall walk down this road. Can we really be marking the end of this long road? But we shall. We shall. Together and with you, our listeners, we shall. And at the very end, we shall all put on the gramophone and pop some Viv Clico. And ride a stride. But until then, we'll have so much to talk about. Until episode two, Sethi. Until then, Shrimpy. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. 
See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.